0: You've heard me teach, many of you have heard me teach on 1 Timothy 3.15, which says, if I'm delayed, you will know how to, or I should say, you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Do you realize this is, was the first time that the church was defined? Jesus spoke about to Peter about the church. He told him he would build a church, but he didn't define it. And it's been defined in this sentence here as the pillar, the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. He defines it specifically for us, what the church is. Many people think the church is many things, but here he, he, he defines it's the church of the living God. There's many churches, but he defines it as the, the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of truth. And it was good to see, when I was away in Australia, it was good to see how the church began to, uh, to rise up and pray for baby Danielle. It was very encouraging to see how the saints would rise in a moment of crisis. It's so important that a church knows how to conduct itself when leadership is not in the room. And the way the saints rise is an indication of whether the teaching and the leading has been accurate. Yeah? So sometimes God allows a man to be taken out of a room, out of a scenario, to see how you will rise. Yeah, I'm not. Don't think for one minute I'm saying God created the sickness. God's used the sickness You know, there's many. Bible says in all things God works for the good. Right. So in all things, we're not talking about the creator of sickness at this point in time. We're talking about God, how God uses all things. So if a leader's not in the room, want to say in the room, out the country, can't be got hold of by phone, can't be got hold of by the conventional means and a crisis happens, what's been put inside you will suddenly begin to manifest or not manifest. True? And it's always a good indication to see what needs to be done and what has been done. True? So the issue of behaviour in the household of God is always the centrality of church life. Do you know how to behave yourself when you're not in a church? Do you, be, do you know how to behave yourself in your own finances? Do you, be, do you know how to behave yourself morally? That is the church. Because what we do here on the Sundays, we sit down. It, you can behave yourself. All you've got to do is just sit down. It's how you live your life. will determine whether the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth is actually inside of you. That will determine whether this God, his church, his truth is actually inside of you. It's not what you do on a Sunday. It's how you live the rest of the week so behavior is becoming the number one issue in church life and it always has been but more and more it's god is putting it back on our radar behavior is the key thing when i was in switzerland uh i said to you uh that god began to speak to me about raising 50 intercessors people who would pray people who would know how to arise advance accelerate, execute the plans and purposes of God. People who know how to lock shields. We can't always have a crisis in order to lock shields. Then we become a people who respond to what's going on rather than the, the initiators. We are not a reactive people. We respond to the word of God, what's inside our hearts. So therefore, we're, already, we're ready for what happens. Because how many of you know sickness is a real issue? And if Jesus Christ is going to walk into the room, as that song told us, and sickness is going to vanish, and every hopeless situation is going to be turned around, there's a fight. There's always a fight on. So to, find, to, to ask Jesus Christ to go and pursue your kids, your kids who are jumping off the deep end, how many of you know there's a struggle? The will of your child and the will of God are two strong wills. God will not force your child to do anything, but God will speak to your child so your child has a choice that he previously didn't realise he ever had. God never forces our arm up our back because that would violate his own principle. Yes, but God has a unique way of speaking to us that causes us to surrender. So when I was in Switzerland and say, God spoke to us about raising 50 people who would stand lock shields and pray, would know how to pray, when to pray, and how long to pray. It's a different kind of prayer than just, Lord, bless me, bless my food, bless my house, bless my family. It's taken us beyond. It's taking us to that picture there. Frontline battle. Yeah? And the thing is, is many Christians get themselves in a, an, a heap of situations and the first thing they do is ask the church to pray for them. But what kind of prayer are you asking people to pray? It's, it's, it's important that we know what kind of prayer we're asking. Not, you know, the Bible teaches us different types of prayer, different levels of prayer. And we'll look at that in a minute. But God is asking for intercessors, people who will, who will lock shields, know how to lock shields and when to lock shields. It takes the focus off you and puts it on another agenda. That's why many Christians don't want to, to know about prayer because they, they, their prayer list is no longer about them. Yeah? You don't have so much, or should I say, we shouldn't continue to so much to keep having my prayer list. We should be praying what he's saying. So you get more results when you pray what he says rather than getting him to try and answer your prayers all the time do you have needs yes but you, you not every day you can be praying about you that's called self-centeredness and in Leviticus 25 you don't need to go there the the uh, <clears throat> sorry the number there is 50 50 is a sign of jubilee god has given us god is asking 50 intercessors so that we can bring a sense of jubilee on the earth. Jubilee in the spirit. Cancelled debt. Satan's attack upon our lives cancelled. This 50. 50 is numerically strong in the Bible. But I don't want to get caught up on that. That's free. You can have that. And when... I was in Switzerland, we wrote, uh, we sent a letter out to the church and we're asking for the 50 intercessors. And many have have responded, but not everybody's responded and that's everybody's choice and and right to do that. Again, because we're not forcing anyone, we're just asking. So this message today is for those who responded. For those who didn't respond, you know why you didn't respond. Well, I forgot, so therefore it wasn't important to you. By the way, let me just reemphasize something. When Danielle, baby Danielle, was in intensive care, and literally hours from life or death, Internet was what mustered the army up. Letters would have been too late. And for some of you who are still struggling to get onto Internet, there is a good indication why we go, we don't send letters out as much today. We do everything through media. It's quicker. It's there. Yeah? We could never have gone to the front lines of the battlefield to pray for that little girl had we had to send the letter out. Case dismissed. I say, even Dorothy has got an an iPad. Good old dot. Generation crossed over. When I was telling them them about you in Australia, what, how old are you, 85? 84. 84, what, she's using an iPad? Wow, I said, I know, I'm a good teacher. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> you don't want to be my friend. But, you know, it's, we need that kind of media. You know, it gives us an instance about everything, do not it? So... Abraham, in the Bible, had 318 trained men that came from his own house. Why did he need trained men? Because he had a nephew called Lot. And Lot was taken captive by the kings in Kedaloma, And all his possession and all his, and all his, his family was held cap, taken captive by this, these kings. Every day, families are being taken captive. Right across our city, in this church, people who we know and connected with, or they're connected with us, people are entering into captivity of all kinds, whether it be sickness, financial, fear, whatever. And if you don't have trained people inside a church who know, who, who can rise up, advance, and accelerate, and execute the will of God over certain situations, then the enemy will always get the better of people. And we'll never, ever be able to take Christ into the room and show him that Christ is a victory God. Christ is a healing God. Christ is a prophetic God. He, he's got plans to give you hope and future. We have to demonstrate this God to people. Very often, kids will say to you, mom, you pray for me. you know what? Sometimes that's good. Other times it's like, I tell you what, son, if, how about you and I pray together? So when you see that, we're praying together works then you have a different choice to make yeah. but if I keep praying and doing all the laboring and, and he gets his answer prayer, guess what he says here, yeah, coincidence yeah. now we know how we know that because we've seen our kids do that but if our kids will come along, alongside of us and pray with us, though that might sound embarrassing to them if they see what God is doing through their prayer, they have a different choice to make and, this, and God needs trained soldiers to come out of the church because it, it's amazing how many of us get on the phone and ask for everybody else to pray for us. So you're, you're expecting someone else to be trained, someone else to give their time, someone to give their effort for you. But if we can lock shields together and become a group of people who know how to pray, I tell you what, the results in this place will be phenomenal. They will be phenomenal. Wherever you see a praying company of people, you see the supernatural miraculous break out. You really do. So, this is our journey of, of, of entering into intercessory prayer because this is what God has asked. He spoke to it in another nation about raising 50. Now, if God speaks to us, guess what? He knows what's coming. And He's letting us know first before it comes. So that prayer can be the first line of defense. True? There are some things that you cannot change unless you pray. Your money, your experience in life is not going to change an awful lot of things. There are things outside of your control that you cannot change only by prayer. And we must discover the level and the God of prayer so that we can see. We do not, you know, if I'm going to take the scripture and I'm going to say, I'm going to read that, A thousand will fall at my left and a a thousand may fall at my right. I need to know that God. I need to know that God. Because I can't be on the front lines of the battlefield and my legs shaking all the time. I want to go home. I want to go home. So therefore, we have to define what kind of church we are to become. Now, it's amazing when people go to a church... People's expectation and interpretation of what they think the church is and should be is multiverse. It's amazing how many people want uh, a, love, a love cruise. Little turbulence, served, looked after, fed on time, entertained. They want all that kind of stuff. That's called a two-week cruise. You know, that's not real. It's not real life, is it? It's either a week or two weeks. And then you've got to get back into the real world, get your feet on terra firma, and then you go home, you've got to cook your own food. Yeah? You no longer live in a cabin no more. You go back to reality. But it was nice for two weeks. True? Now, you ask many of those people who go on a cruise, would you like to live on one? Oh, no, no, no. Right then. It is what it is. It's a two-week cruise or a week's cruise it's a holiday but it's amazing how many people want the church to stay like that oh don't go into that rough waters just stay on the nice where the sun's on our back but you know we cannot build that kind of church we cannot you know some people want a it's amazing different people are attracted to different kind of expressions of church some people will go to where all the music's great and very often or not, that's where you see a lot of young people. They're, they're, like, they're like moths to the, to the light, aren't they? They get attracted to music. Other people get attracted to deliverance. You know, every, every week it's deliverance. The same demons coming out of someone. And you think, Flip in it, how many demons have you got? There are other people that are attracted to counselling. They are a permanent mess and they're never right. I need more counseling. I need more. Co- no, you just want shooting. You can't keep on needing the same thing. There has to come a point when something works or you, need, you need, might need to go and look at something else. You can't keep feeding the same animal the same thing. Other people want all kinds of things. Now, all those churches I've just mentioned, listen to me. Before you start throwing the chairs at me. All those people who want those kind of churches are wrong. There is no such thing. I know I'm rattling you now. So I'm saying it. There is no such thing as a counseling church. There is no such thing as a deliverance church. Or a worshipping church. What? You heard. Why? Why? Because the church should be all those things. (laughs) Put your chair down. Sit back on it again. (laughs) To be one of those things is to be unbalanced. Is to have a wrong emphasis. And all those things in themselves are good. But one of those things on their own is not healthy. True? So in the church... We believe the word counsels people. We believe the word will deliver people. We believe we can touch heaven through a worship encounter. But it's amazing how many worshipers still need delivering. How many worshippers still need counseling. How many worshipers still need da-da-da-da-da. So one of those things on their own is never the answer. But we polarize around these things. And that's why the church is never powerful. Because we look for one thing. The Bible says, nothing is ever about one thing. Life works on principles, not principle. Many principles. And where you have imbalance, you have inaccurate representation. So if we're going to pray, we must be balanced. Or all our prayers will just go into one box. Think about it. We have to pray with wisdom. Wisdom means knowledge and understanding and insight and revelation. Wisdom is knowledge, understanding, revelation and insight. The Bible says we're not like those who just beat our air, beat the air when we pray. We know how to pray intelligently. We know how to pray with wisdom. We know how to pray with insight. We know how to pray. Jesus was taught by his own father what to pray and how to pray. Read your Bible in John. He knew what to pray and how to pray. We too must know the same thing. We must know what to pray and how to pray. Because if we don't know how to pray or what to pray we become like men who just beat the air and scream out a whole lot of stuff and then wonder why God does not answer in our prayer. Because you're asking God to answer things that he could never answer in the first place. Why? Because his own word doesn't say it. God can only do what God does. What God has spoken, God can do. But what you want God to do, if he's not spoken it, he won't do it. Why? To do that would violate his own will. And you need to know God before you ask him things. Once you get to know God, you know his heart. You know what you can ask. And then Jesus says, ask anything. Up to this point, you've never asked. But now ask anything, and it will be the Father's pleasure to give you. Why? Because now you ask right. People say that anything, think it means anything. No, it doesn't. Well, it says anything. Read the context. Read the context. We just read the word anything. Means I can ask anything. If you want to take that to the extreme, you could say, I want another wife. Well you've got one. Yeah, but what another one? He said anything. Yeah? You don't want two wives. Once enough. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> The reason, why, uh, the, the reason why a lot of churches cannot pray and lock shields like this and advance and accelerate and become a serious force on the earth is because of the cruise ship mentality. And also is because the church attracts the wrong kind of people. What I thought the church was for everybody. It is. It's for all. It, it's for, actually, it's for one kind of person. The lost. But once you cross over, it's his church. It's no longer what we want it to be. It's his church. If he's going to stay here, it has to be done his way. Now, and, you know, under, in my heart, under our leadership, we've determined that God is going to have rulership and ownership in this church. It's, we're not going to run churches per usual. We're not going to run church the way we want it. It's got to be according to what he says. So that's very, very important. If we're going to get his presence here and his power here, we've got to do what he asks. But very often in a lot of churches, you've got babies. People who have been in church a long time, but they haven't got a lot of Christ in them. The, the spiritual babies, they're ignorant. They're immature. They throw the toys out the pram. Spit the dody every time you tell them to grow up. And it's amazing how many people will refuse to be discipled. You cannot have a warship church, a battleship mentality without disciples. Now, can you imagine with that kind of crew? Now, Chris has been been in, the, was it the Merchant Navy you were in? Or Roland, Marines, was it? Roland's Marines, sorry. Forgive me. Nearly downgraded him then. Oof, nearly got a fight on me hand then. Shh. Chris was in the SAS. <laughs> Can you imagine if the weak, the immature, the baby, spat the dummy every time they were giving orders? Would they make it? No, they wouldn't. But we expect in a church to go to the front lines of the battlefields with weak, immature people, undiscipled people. You cannot do it. You would not even make the grade. So why should we think the church is any different? You see, if we understand that God has a kingdom, God has kingdom rule, and kingdom power, then that alone tells you, that wherever there's a kingdom, there's an opposite kingdom. Someone will come and try, and contest the king's domain. True? So the kingdom of heaven, it's a kingdom. Now the kingdom of heaven, also wants to be on the earth. That's why he says, our father who is art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. He teaches us how to pray. Your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So earth should be the pattern of what's going on in heaven. So in order for it to be a kingdom in both realms, it takes a military kind of mindset to be able to establish a church. Because there's battles everywhere. You you fight people. You fight situations. You fight councils. Now the Bible tells us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So we're not fighting people. People carry things. People touch things that they shouldn't touch and bring them into church. People, and a person often is a spirit. What makes a madman mad? Well, very often, something behind him. There's something behind him. He's not just, you can't just be uncontrollable. Something's controlling him. Something's controlling him, and then when God begins to speak to that person, the power of darkness is broken off that life. The power of darkness. Two Timothy chapter two verse four says, "No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer." No one serving as a soldier. Gets involved in civilian affairs. Why? Because he wants to please his commanding officer. Have you noticed it's always the civilian affairs that gets us in trouble? When we mess around with the wrong things, the wrong things begin to mess around with us. It's amazing. For some people, not all people, some people, they take a drink and then it's got them. For many people, they can drink and leave it. For others, they go in, they put a coin in the slot machine, they walk out, they spend the two or three pound in the the machine, walk away, never use it for months. But for another person, it's got them. Yeah? One person, goes into a newsagent, glances without him realising, sees one of those magazines on the top, walks out, doesn't bother him. To somebody else, it becomes the very trap that takes them down a dark path. Why? There's multiple reasons. But the truth is, it happens. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you like cakes? You see, to me, you could take me to Slattery's. Does anybody, everyone know what Slattery's is, the cake place? You could take me in there, useless. I'd say, have you got a biscuit? Because cakes don't interest me. But to somebody else, that could seriously mess them up. But you take me to a crisp factory... I'm gone. Yeah. Send me to a Chris factory, I'm gone. And when you say Chris, I don't just mean any Chris, Seabrooks. Seabrooks Chris, well, oh holy ghost. Speaking tongues with Seabrooks, C-Bro- they are the best thing that came out of heaven. And you know, whenever you go around the world and you try and eat Chris, the rubbish. And instantly I want to go back home to sweet old Seabrooks. Civilian affairs always entangle us in the wrong battle. They always get us involved in the wrong battle. They mess us up. Why? Because that's not the battle. But the enemy of our soul uses those things, and plus our own weaknesses. You know, the person who can't stop shopping. Shopaholic. Shopaholic. The lady who's got 15 to 20 pairs of shoes. Oh, now we're getting deep. Now we're getting deep. I can't complain. The other day, I bought three pairs of shoes. I've never had three pairs of shoes in my life. I've I've had trainers and but good shoes, and I bought three pairs. And as I walked out the shop, I felt convicted. I felt guilty. I did. I thought somewhere, someone in somewhere in the world hasn't got one pair, and here's me walking out with three. Now, I wasn't guilty enough to take them back. (laughs) But it was seriously in my mind. I'll never do it again. I will not buy three pairs of shoes at the same time. (laughs) No, I won't. I won't do it. I've got enough. I've got more shoes now than I've ever had in my entire life. Do I need them all? No. It's amazing how civilian things mess us up. And yet we're called to be to live the life of a soldier, a Christian soldier. Do you remember the old song, Onward Christian Soldiers? It's always the battle of the commanding officer's will that reveals a different will. When he says something, it will reveal in you whether you've got the same heart as your commanding officer or whether you've got a different Agenda inside of you. So when Christ says, "I want to use your life," and you've got a different agenda, but not today, Lord, because I'm too busy. I've got work. Don't you know I'm busy? God says, "You know I don't have to breathe on your work, and it's finished. Your work is to do my will. Now I want to use you in your work. I like where you work. I need you in that place because you're my representation." I can decide whether your, your company get rid of you tomorrow or not. But he doesn't play that game. But he could do that. He wants you to recognize how much he's with you and you're with him in that situation. And when you recognize that, God can use you. Now you become his instrumental piece. But if the commanding officer says change, you say, where to? Over there you go. When I was in the company earning the money I was in, he said to me, put the call of ministry inside me. He said, you will change. You'll leave this place. And to me, it was settled. Now, I could have a big issue with a salary because God didn't, didn't seem like he paid enough. In fact, he paid lousy. What the church was offering me compared to what I was being paid at the time was hopeless, but God's saying, I'm seeing if money will be your driving force. It was settled inside me. This was my path. He's the commanding officer. He must be able to speak. When he tells Phil, Phil, leave your company, start your own. If he's the commanding officer, he has to do it. And now that's taking him down a different path. Now, the thing is, when you're self-employed, it's not the same as getting a regular Paycheck, is it? It's not. It's cost. But if he's the officer, he's the officer. I'm the soldier. He says, tomorrow you're on that battlefield, I change position. Civilian affairs, battling with your commanding officer will at some point derail you and lead you into sin. You enter into sin eventually. Somewhere down the line, you will eventually end up into sin if you keep fighting with God's will. And then you'll get yourself in a hole, and then it'll get dark, and then there'll be tears before bedtime. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21, let me read something to you. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 21, it says, The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks. And a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes. (laughs) For pre-pointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and Jonathan had them. Wow. Can you imagine going to the front lines of the battlefield with your army? We're about now to take our 318 trained men, or our 50 intercessors. We're about to take them to the front lines of the battlefield. I turn around, and it's only me, Paul, and Phil with a sword and a shield. Not a good thing. Can you imagine that? That's exactly what happened here. Because of the expense of sharpening swords and plowshares and things like that, the mattocks, the price was too high, nobody could afford it. So when they went to battle, I'm asking myself, why the hell did you go to battle? Why did you go with those kind of influence? What did you expect your, I want to know, what did they ever expect their enemy to be carrying? Lolly sticks? You'd want to be able to go to a battle. One of the key things in modern military is is our hardware as good as our enemy? If you go to certain parts of the world, you see a distinct difference in the military outfit, and the kit, the technology. It's no use right now. If you go to Nigeria and fight those, those rebels, if the British military went in with our equipment and our expertise, game over. Because our, our force has got more experience. We've we've, we've built a history on military. We know what it takes to fight modern warfare. We know what it takes to fight every kind of warfare. Why? Because we created war everywhere we went. That's our history. We know we're fighting the jungle. That's why we'll fight them on the land. We'll fight them on the beaches. Why? We've done it. So if you put a British force inside Nigeria right now to go and get those girls that have been taken, it's game over. But they count on that, that the force that's they're fighting against is not as equipped as them. In fact, if you saw the news this week, they were talking to the Nigerian police force, and it's saying that those boys have got a lot more equipment than us. So that's put fear. How can you defend yourself with, a, with a, a lolly stick if the next guy's got a sword? You can't. It's called uneven combat. Unfair. So when God sends his church to the front lines of the battlefield, he doesn't send you without the right kind of equipment. He sends us with heaven's best. Now, it doesn't mean to say that each church dresses the same. Or each believer. Because if you don't want to put the helmet of salvation on, if you don't want to put the belt of truth on, you don't want to use the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, it highlights all the defense mechanism. If you don't want to put the gospel, the shoes on, the, the breastplate of righteousness, if you don't want to wear all that kind of stuff, you know what it's equivalent of? Somebody getting, getting on a motorbike with that, his crash helmet on. Suicide. Last night, I'm watching two guys on these trike motorbikes, you know, the four-wheel ones. Carol says to me, why has he got an helmet on and he hasn't? I said, because one's stupid and one isn't. I said, the law says on a four-wheel bike, he doesn't have to wear an helmet because it's, it's classed as a four-wheel vehicle. A motorbike, two wheels, has to wear an helmet. But this guy, smart enough to put an helmet on, despite whether the law or not, he knows what's good for him. But the, the other dipstick thinks it's a nice sunny day he wants to be there you know all the girls passing you know seeing him go by it only has to break and he's over the top it's like a horse if it bolts you don't put seat belts on those things it's all about the equipment and it's about you knowing what equipment is available and then are you willing to wear what's been made available so many Christians will not let you train them to wear things. There's a code when you're in the military. There's a code for everything. Your equipment's got to be right. right. It's got to be, you've got to know how to use it. Because you're going to face every type of combat. You need to know what's in your arsenal. True? Yeah. If you got, you know if a guy comes at you and you run out of bullets, you've got to be able to pull a knife out somewhere. Use everything at your disposal. Can't say, excuse me, mate, let me load a magazine. I'll be with you in a minute. (coughs) Doesn't work like that. But in the church, we become like this group of people who turn up, you know, it's like sending your your kid to school without its jumper or its PE kit. You know, or he hasn't got his pens and his ruler. And then you have to go and try and borrow it. from. You have to go to that skanky basket in the corner, don't you, in school, and see if there's an old pair of trainers there that fit you. And, they've got, and that's where you get your Veruca from. Because it's 15, you know, about f- after school's worn them. And they've never got any laces in them. You know, I've done, you know we've, been, we've been there, do not we? It's, and then you say, it was my mum's fault she never packed it. Your mother says, what do you mean I didn't pack it? I washed it and ironed it and put it on the side. What side? It's your fault. You should have put it in the back. (laughs) Brother says, I'll give it you in a minute. It's amazing how many times I surely got in trouble for doing that. (laughs) I didn't need a kit. It was never there. So imagine, they're all there, Jonathan and Saul ready to fight, to turn around, it's not there. We can't let you go to the front lines of the battlefield without preparing you. And that's where we're at as a church right now, is in the preparation stage of raising the 50 so that we can go to the front lines of the battlefield and every believer will be trained and and empowered so they can stand the ground whatever terrain you find yourself, whatever family background you come from, whatever's going on in your life will train you well enough so you know how to pray accurately to get results. Because the enemy is trying to come in all the time. He's trying to come in from different ways. If it's, if it's, can you imagine the despair? Listen to me. Can you imagine the despair of Z and Tembe losing a child? It's not worth thinking about. When I'm in Adelaide, the first thing I prayed was this, Lord, save me from despair. Do not let this go down when I'm not in the nation. Lord, save this from turning into disaster. And I began to pray, I said, Lord, don't let this become despair. Don't let it, the people end, enter into despair because of this. And that was my prayer. So then we took it into the conference we were at. And then all everyone started to pray about it. The kids then took it into their department and they began to pray. And when Z Temmy's back, I'll share with them what the kids were seeing in the spirit. The kids knew how to pray in the spirit. Why? Because that was the first line was the kids. They felt compassionate, one of their own. And then, see, the people in the comments don't even know what because of my connection, they'll pray. So Cal and I, have the emo- we're the ones in that room with the emotional attachment because it's the part of our church so but you rose up you rose up maybe not everybody did but enough did and it was enough to know that there's some DNA in here to take us to the next level intercessional prayer is powerful it can get dirty but it's powerful so you can't go to the front lines of the battlefield without the people of god being fully equipped so god if you say why do we need why do we need intercessory prayer what's the difference between intercessory prayer and prayer your prayer is your prayer what you feel what's affecting your personal life but intercessory prayer is about what's in god's heart god needs a tactical god needs a tactical prophetic intercessional people intercessory people God needs a prophetic, tactical, intercessory people. People who see the future. People who know how to pray towards the future. Rather than just being affected by what's going on here and now, people who can see. So we know how to make the adjustments necessary. So we're always one step ahead of our enemy. God needs a prophetic, t- <laughs> tactical, prophetic, intercessory church. This is the difference between an ordinary church and an unusual church. An unusual church does see the future. Irrespective of what K Sarah, the song said, said, the future's not hard to see, it is. And the Bible is littered with people, with God showing the church the future. It's littered with it. In fact, in Acts 12, go to Acts chapter 12. <coughs> Let me show you how a praying church works and affects. And then on this we'll close. How God's tactical, prophetic, intercessory base affects the environment. In Acts chapter twelve, everybody there? It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. So, let's get the context. Some of you now have been arrested by our government. Okay? Our government has now deemed that being a church, if you're not registered with, our ch- with the government, you're now illegal. But we turn around, this is, this is a, not real, but this is, I'm painting a scenario. This will happen in the future. The government wants to control everything. And if you don't license, come under a license, and the government will not give you a license, to, to function that's happened right across eastern europe and it's happened in china government want to contain everything so the church says we are not letting you control us well we'll shut you down then well first of all in a democracy they remove certain privileges like tax relief things like that or council tax they're the privilege what that does it shrinks the church down and eventually once they've taken away all our privileges they turn around and say you can't function it's illegal to function as a church so then we become what we call an underground church we don't meet under the ground we meet out the way of the government that's called an underground church let's just say we've become an underground church and now some of you have been arrested let's just say all you lot have been arrested so you lot are all panicking my babies have been taken Kevin's gone Jenny's saying, my boy, my boy has gone. David's saying, hooray, hooray, Veronica's gone. No, he didn't say that. But let's just say they've all been taken captive, okay? About this time, the King Herod arrested some some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death. Or let's just say, we had Kevin put to death. Because he's looking over there. With the sword, when what was sharpened. When he saw this, it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happening during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So now Andy has been taken captive. Kevin's been killed. Andy's captive. You getting the scene? Okay. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded for the squads of four soldiers each. Andy, you were something. There's four of them guarding you. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. so Peter was, So Andy was kept in prison. But listen, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What was the church doing? No, she wasn't. She was earnestly praying. Different kind of prayer. She wasn't just praying. She was earnestly praying. She knew what to pray and how to pray. How do I know that? I'm glad you asked me. Keep on reading. Can you imagine? Uh, Go to verse 6. That night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So now Andy's sleeping, as he normally does, between two chains and sentries, stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. Get up quickly, he said, and the chain fell off Peter's wrist. Just hold it there for a minute. It's almost like, think of it in sporting terms. Andy's asleep. The angel's come in, gone past one, gone past another one, touches Andy, chains fall off. It's like you go past one defender. You skip past another defender. All of a sudden, the goal's there. Minute goes just before City win the league. I thought I'd get that one in. (coughs) Oh, by the way, again, and he goes in, scores the goal, picks Andy up, lifts him up, and says, "I freed him." That's what this angel was doing. All the rest of them were asleep, and he just—the angel skips past one and another, gets Andy, change fall off, picks him up. Andy, get up, you lazy rat! You shouldn't be sleeping. Get up, follow me. So now Andy starts to follow. Let's pick it up again. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, Put your clothes on and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Ooh. Right? Ready there? And uh, when they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to him, to himself, and said, Now I know that without doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned in him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Andy could never have been rescued. Had that church not stood together and prayed, it was the church's prayer that heaven heard. Heaven releases an angel. The angel goes into the prison, astound you know, kind of stuns everyone. God supernaturally turns upon the scene and changes everything for His glory. And if you rest of the story, they were so shocked that when Peter knocks on the door, Rhoda one of the saints who was praying says, she opens the door, she sees Peter shuts the door, she says I can't believe it, I think it's that guy we've just been praying for, Peter no, 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 it, and half the time they didn't believe that their prayer was going to be answered and then all of a sudden, he says, well if he's at the door, go and get him so she opens the door and Peter's there, they see That God has answered their prayer. How much faith do you believe it gave that church? How much faith do you believe that gave those people? That James has been killed, but Peter's been alive. Kevin's been killed. Sorry, Kev. Andy's been saved. So Andy comes out, comes to the church and says, guys... I, know you, I can see you've been praying. Let me tell you how God has answered your prayer. Andy begins to share his testimony, how, how he saw, he knew James had been killed, Kevin had been killed, and how the angel came in. First of all, he thought he was in a trance. Then he thought he was in a vision. Then he came to his senses and he explains how God delivered him out of Herod's clutches. Why? Because God has a plan for Andy and for the church. But it was prayer that rescued him. Had they not got together and locked shields, Peter would never have ever been released. Wow. So church, there'll be many, many situations when you will feel contained, limited, pushed down, oppressed. If you don't become part of a 50 trained soldiers who know how to push, how are you ever going to rise out out the dungeon of your life? How are you going to free other people? You just might be the angel that God uses. You just might be the angel to somebody else's life. God, if you listen to God and let God use your life, here I am, Lord, come and consume me. Here I am, use me. God can send you into somebody else's dungeon to rescue them. That's because you don't know if you are an answer to somebody else's prayer. You might be praying. You might be the instrument that God uses to answer somebody else's prayer. Do you know how I know that? He does it with me. People, it's amazing. the, the, The beautiful gift of public speaking is you're able to speak into so many situations. You know, when I was in Australia, there was a guy. I was—I uh, didn't notice at the time. How many of you believe everyone's entitled to have a different life, whatever your history is? How many of you believe that? God, this, I'm not going to mention what this, this guy was involved in—a secret. But I didn't know this guy had been involved in this, and I begins to prophesy over him, and it—it it completely just woof, you know, affected him crazy. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you'll never know what you've just prophesied. I said, I don't need to know. I'm just an instrument. And they began to tell me what had happened with this man and how his life would be devastated by what he'd done. I devastated a lot of things, but he was devastated. But then all of a sudden, a cool breeze comes in the wilderness. A glass of cold water to refresh a parched man. I was the answer to his prayer. I've never met the man, never prayed for the man, never seen the man, never heard the man, don't know him. Still don't know him in that sense, though I facially recognize him now. I was just God's angel in Adelaide, delivering a message, get up, come out of prison, follow me. That's all I was. It doesn't take a pastor to do that, it takes any saint to do that. Any believer can do that. Any believer. But if we're not tuned in and we don't become God's prophetic, tactical, intercessory base on the ground, how can God ever deploy you on assignment? So how do you get to know that? Just by talking with God, reading his word, talking with others, you'll begin to learn. But that's only one level. The next level is you must let us disciple you. You must allow us to disciple you. We do it every Thursday, once a month. And then we break down into groups. If you don't, I've never been a disciple. You need discipline. I don't care how old you are as a Christian. Because you cannot stand in the midst of the battle or be God's angel on assignment without being discipled. You need to be trained. So that when you get to the front lines of the battlefield, you're not standing with an unsharpened mattock or plow. You're dressed for battle. Amen? So, here I'm finished. Those, we sent letters out to everybody about becoming an intercessor. You're getting another opportunity. If you haven't come and spoke to myself or Phil, you need to. If not, we'll only ever, when we do draw to one side to pray, we'll only ever call the intercessors. We will not be sending emails out to everyone again. Once we send, once we send the, the first letter out, we give you an opportunity. We explain why, blah, blah. blah because we're not forcing anyone. We're just asking you. But when we do come to the next level of intercessory prayer, we will only be calling the intercessors who are trained in that area to that level. Because that's key. Because we're not going to repeat the same mistake that Jonathan and Saul made. We can't let you go to the front lines of the battlefield not prepared. Your blood could not be on our hands. That's not good leadership. So, it's not that we're stopping you from praying, it's just that you can't, it would be unfoolish, should say, it would be foolish to let you fight that same battle. You wouldn't send a six week recruit into a special ops, would you? No. Why? You know why. It's obvious. He's coming out in a body bag. Well, that's what happens. I'm not going to let the enemy attack your life, and then I become the cause because we didn't train you. Amen. So let's stand to our feet if we will, please. There is a Peter and a James, a Kevin or an Andy in every one's life. May not be in prison, personal prison, I mean physical prison, but they're in a dark emotional Spiritual prison. It takes a battle. It takes someone who God can use to get someone out. You know, right now, Jim's husband has been sick for a long time. One of the things of of bringing the church to the front line to the battlefield is to see Jim rescued. To see him rescued. Just as Jim's been in a prison prison emotional prison God has to go in and break the chains now you might not be able to physically go in there but at this point prayer goes in and God becomes our representative he's the one on location how many of you, how many of you know that Jesus can walk into Jim's room doesn't, doesn't have to physically send us he can do it himself but he chooses to use you now, if we can't get in there because of all restrictions or whatever, Jesus will use who he needs. Jesus himself will send yeah. the Holy Ghost and speak to Jim and pull him out of that. But in the meantime, we must labor for him. Yeah. Speak life. Yeah. Pat Loftus. Yeah. pleurisy. It just keeps dogging her and dogging her and dogging her. Yeah. Danielle's not fully out... Out the woods, yet, she's she's improving and they hope to be bringing her home this week. But that's not the end of the case. We must fight until the battle is complete. These are just a few. We're not rising just to fight these battles. We're fighting, we're rising for our future. This is about our future. It's not, these are the instant battles. You could say, right, we could rise up now because these are instant battles. These are only surface battles. These are big battles, by the way. But they're surface. There's other fa- other fights, other wars to fight, other battles to you know to be trained for. But right now, these are good testing grounds to see what's in us. It's not good for the people who's going through them. But God uses all things. All things now. I would imagine at some point, if everyone wrote their prayer request down, there'd always be someone in your family, if not yourself, who needs prayer. Right. There's an indication of why the battle needs to, we need to take it up another level. Amen. So, just raise your hands, if you will. In your heart, this is what you you need to say this morning. Come and consume me. All that I am, come and consume me. Lord, I need you. I want you. I want to know what's in your heart. So I can speak your words. Walk your way. Sing heaven's tunes. So I can be an angel to somebody else. I can be a representation of Christ to somebody else. Give me the wisdom, give me the words to speak to those who are trapped. Give me those, give me the words to reach out and pull someone from the pit of hell. Pull them up to where I am. Lord, train my feet, train my hands, train my mouth for war. Give me wisdom of knowing what to say how to say it, when to say it, who to say it to. Give me this wisdom, oh God, train me. Here I am, oh God. I am the soldier, you are the commanding officer. You speak, I obey. Even this week, oh God, speak into my heart. Put somebody in my heart. Drop somebody in my heart I can start praying for now. Show me how to pray. I don't know how to pray, Lord, for this person. Show me, Holy Spirit. Show me how to pray, what to pray for this person. I want to be the instrument. I know I'm not going, to full, I'm not going into full-on combat, but I can start the journey today. In Jesus' name, you are my saviour. You are my commanding officer. Amen.